And welcome into a special episode of the All Seminoles Pod, brought to you by AllSeminoles.com, the one and only Sports Illustrated website covering FSU athletics. Special guest today, um, he's back for another interview, Mr. Jeff Cameron of the wildly popular Jeff Cameron Show. Ah, you like that plug right there, Jeff. ESPN Tallahassee, uh, you know, 97.9, you can find him anywhere. Tallahassee radio legend, Jeff, how are you, man? I'm good. It's good to be back, Michael. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased. Um I'm doing as well as can be expected given the circumstances. And, um, you know, I think we're all a little frustrated, Mike, but, uh, you know, <laughs> do it, hanging in there and, and trying to make the best of uh, what's been a, a really brutal year for everybody. Man, it's been tough. And it's just, it's just God, one thing after the other that keeps coming through. And, you know, the last time we talked, Jeff, all this was beginning, this you know, this COVID thing was just happening. Quarantine just got underway. And, you know, that's, you know, that's the last time we talked to you, you know, and juxtapose that to now where fall camp is actually taking place. I don't know if you told me that a month ago, I would believe you that that would actually happen. Um, college football players are making unions and, and conferences are canceling. There's so much going on. You know, there's positive news for State basketball to talk about. There's all kinds of stuff. So let me just kind of bring you in with a big, broad question. Okay. If you, you sit here right now, if you had to put some money on it, are we having a college football season of any kind? <sighs> <laughs> I know. So, sorry to put you on the hot, you know, the hot seat. No, I, 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 don't, I don't mind at all uh, because I can speculate with the best of them. Uh, and, and, and that's what it is right now for all of us is speculation. You know, I, I, and I'm going to answer your question, but it, there is nuance to this. Of course. And I think what I want to hear, and I would like to hear more of it, are people who are qualified to answer the question, is it safer for the student athletes to be together uh, as they are now monitored with access to um, the the medical protocol necessary to keep them safe, the advanced testing, uh, the the closely regimented uh, days in which they are adhering to those protocols, uh, than it is if they're just in the general student uh, student body, uh, regular right. population. Um, I want to hear the epidemiologists and the virologists tell us that. Right. I, I you know I understand Jerry down the road's opinion that college football <laughs> should be played. Uh, and I also know that I have a bias because I'd like college football of to course. be played. It, it certainly helps me in the living that I make, but also I'm a passionate fan of college football, all college football. I Absolutely. love it. I'm like you. I watch these games at every level. I stay yep. up late. I'm enjoying it. I love the game of football. So I know that I'm not completely objective, but I also know that, uh, I believe in science, and I believe in those that have spent their lives to build towards an expertise uh, that allow them to then help guide the practices of those that are not experts. And um, it's important to hear from them. And right now, part of the problem with this issue and what's been a problem since COVID-19 uh, became uh, the, the the virus that we all know it to be, and it's having put a halt on our way of life and uh, having unfortunately destroyed over 150,000 lives and, right. and many others that were closely associated with those people that have passed, is that it, the information seems to be ever-changing and that we haven't been able to get our, handle, our hands on it and, and really understand specifically the short-term and long-term effects. And 
I think that's very frustrating because we don't like to be in limbo. People don't like to not know. We can handle adversity. As people, we can handle bad news. Nobody likes it, but we can handle it because it's clearly definable. So I say to myself, okay, this is bad news. So-and-so is sick. All right, what are we going to do about it? From here, what has to happen for this person to either get better or how do I mentally prepare myself for the fact that they may not get better? If you have a game plan and you're able to fight something and you're able to know and put your resources and your thoughts and your energies to a place, it's a lot easier to cope with those things. But when you don't know what works, what doesn't, now we obviously have certain protocols that we know help, that work, wearing masks help. We know this. That's a fact. It's not arguable. So these are things that obviously we can adhere to, but there are still a lot of unknowns. And those things have to be vetted before I think you just decide we're all in, it's safer, and we should play football starting September the 12th. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. Right. And I'm not here to tell you I, I, I know that. I, I will say that if it's, if it's safe to send people back to school, which is what they're doing now. Yeah. You know, you know where I'm going with this. You're right. <laughs> if you're going to put people back on campuses at, at, at a middle school level, high school level and collegiate level, uh, are you telling me that's safer than, than playing football? Uh, or, 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 you know, we look at the protocols, we look at the incessant testing. We look at all of the things that have been put in place to keep players safe. Are they safer in that environment? Uh, as opposed to, let's say they say cancel football and they're just amongst the normal student body going to and from class without all those other protocols that are currently in place protecting them. I, I don't know the answer to that question. So right. let's circle back to your original question. Will there be football this year? There will be professional football this year. Right. I'm almost 100% certain of that. Will there be college football this year? I'm inclined to say that in some cases, the answer is yes, that some programs are going to find a way to play some semblance of a schedule. Could it be four games, six games, eight games? I I think there is a likelihood that somebody somewhere is playing football, but it's going to be bastardized in a way we don't recognize. And I'm really, 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 unfortunately, uh, I would say, unsure of what kind of football we're going to see what it, it does it resemble anything uh that we uh, associate with college football conference play etc I, I i have no idea man it's just such a tough it's such a tough question and like you said there's so many layers and so much nuance to, to this whole thing and you know and going from that what do you think comes out of this? And what I mean is, you talk about it on your show all the time, so I'm glad I have you to ask you about it. How close are we to a super conference? And not just, you know, you know, you kind of did an exercise last week where you booted some teams out, and that was fun. And I agree. <laughs> and by the way, I agree with you on most of those. Wake and Boston College, you can get the hell out. Have a good day. But Yeah, have a good day indeed. Uh, right. right. It, but how close are we to that super conference? You know, and I and the reason I'm asking that is because Scott Frost sat on the podium yesterday. By the way, he has aged like the president in that job. Sweet Jesus, man. <laughs> um, but uh, how close do you think we are to some kind of super conference and having some kind of player organization to kind of combat this autonomous five, as we like to call it? Loaded question. Yeah, well, we- 
the, 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 the problem in college football, and it's been this way for a long time, is it feels fairly rudderless. I'm not sure that we have great leadership at the top. Uh, we don't have it any. Seems certainly, <laughs> yeah, wildly inconsistent at best, right? Right. Um, you know, I, I would say this. Uh, oh, I think we're certainly moving closer to a time and place in which the players have a seat at the table and a voice. Uh, I, I think that there's no question that they have found their voice uh, during these times. Um, and, and that's good. It's, it's been a long yes. time coming. I think at some point we're going to see the way that a scholarship is, is uh, altered uh, to better indicate um, uh, a, a pay-for-play type model. Um, it, now, look, I think a super conference is getting closer uh, than ever before. I think we're watching it play out before our very eyes. We're on the precipice of a uh, really, really seismic shift in college football. Uh, I think at some point, when you talk about the autonomous five, the power five, uh, even within that group, I think you'll see them yeah. want to break away and create a super conference and negotiate exclusive television contracts where they will no longer engage in the sham of amateur amateurism. Uh, I think they will engage in paying players, and I don't know how many teams will want to be a part of it. Uh, I don't know who gets to make that final decision, but I know that uh, there will be those that can and those that can't. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and really, uh, when you think about Florida State University and their current situation uh, and the current climate, uh, it really would be a godsend to see Florida State be part of something like that because they could get out from under oh. the, this untenable situation in which the ACC payout to its teams is so considerably less than that uh, that Florida State has to compete against in the likes of the SEC and the Big Ten and others if you want to be part of the playoff picture. Um, those universities that belong to those conferences see a windfall that is quite a bit uh, more significant than that of Florida State, and that is not sustainable. You cannot right. win long-term if you're fighting that battle in terms of monies being that disparate uh, over the long term. So I, I, I think that uh, that would be a hell of a bailout for Florida State. But I, I do think, again, because of the lack of leadership within the NCAA, the growing autonomy of the Power Five, as they're, as they're known, uh, and this willingness to break away, I think the momentum is there. This is all playing out before our very eyes. You're watching the potential of a future super conference, uh, and you're also at the same time looking at players finding their voice, a unified front. Um, you're, you're also watching a sport that uh, who has been, you know, I mean, you think about college football, it, it's nuts. Uh, right. $2 billion a year in television revenue, and there's no czar for college football is absurd. Absolutely. So there are a lot of factors that play into this, and I think it will lead to, at the very least, a modernization of scholarships, meaning it will change what it means to have a scholarship if you end up going to a school that is in a quote-unquote super conference. I agree with you 100%. And, you know, there's no, like, easy transition out of that stuff, but I'm going to try to kind of bring it back home to Florida State here for just a minute. Uh, fall camp underway, again, not something I, I really saw possible a couple months ago, but here we are. We're, what, four or five practices in now. Um Early impressions on Norvell and this staff, you got to see those those three, you know, small spring practices, you know, you, you know, and Tom got to see the tour of duty and stuff like that. You know, we saw some signs. What are your early impressions on this staff, Coach Norvell, organization, football IQ, et cetera? They've 
they've done everything that they could possibly do, save for go out and win football games, to impress me. And I get it. I was wrong about <laughs> Willie Taggart. I, we all were. Again, I've, I've yeah. said it numerous times. I was wrong. I thought <laughs> Willie I, – first of all, I was wrong on a lot of levels, and I want to I acknowledge that. I thought Willie Taggart to be something that I found out he was not. I was fooled. Uh, secondly, I thought that when we hired Willie Taggart, he would be able to put together the staff that he wanted to put together. Yes. That did not happen. So immediately he was behind the eight ball. Uh, there were some things working against Willie Taggart that weren't his fault, and then there were things that Willie Taggart did as a coach that absolutely sentenced him to doom. Um, okay, don't want to relitigate that. Just acknowledging that I got that wrong. I was hoping Florida State would survive long enough for his recruiting prowess right. to kick in, and at that point you have the Jimmys and Joes, and it really doesn't matter about the X's and O's if you have more talent across the board. Now, back to this. Mike Norvell and his staff, are a reason if you're a Florida State fan to be very, very excited. And I find out more to that end on a daily basis. Just listen to Chris Thompson, Adam Fuller, Kenny yep. Dillingham, Alex Adkins. Just listen to Chris Marr, the linebackers coach. Impressive run coach. Game coach. Just very oh, impressive. Across the board, those guys will have you eating out of the palm of their hand, and not for the wrong reasons. It's not the sort of um, uh, you know, persuasive personality of a politician who engages right. in answering questions that, you, that he wished was asked of them, but rather I'm talking about an acumen that is clearly on the surface at all times and, and an ability to reach out as a teacher uh, to not only inform a player what is asked of them, what they are tasked with completing, but also – to, in a way, engender confidence that they can do that. And I'm watching this staff and listening to these guys talk about what they believe, what they're instilling, what they expect from players. Everything is so clearly defined. You know, I do this all the time when I talk with Tom, my producer, or I talk to my wife or my friends. These are the people that are in your inner circle that you care about, and maybe in many cases you love dearly. Well, those are the people whose opinions matter to you. I don't really care what some guy I've never met thinks of my right. show or my opinion about anything. I really do care about the people that I keep close to me or that I work with side by side on a daily basis. Why do I say all that? I say all that to say this. We frequently, and, and I ask this of them, when we get into a pickle where we disagree about something. Disagreements are going to happen. Of course. Different philosophies are going to occur. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's great because it helps you further vet the issue and maybe consider other perspectives that you've never Absolutely. thought of. So, so what I say is let's clearly define our terms before moving forward with this discussion. What is it you think I mean when I say this? What is it that you mean when you say that? And what is it that we are arguing about? Because you've got to get that on the table and you've got to know exactly what you're discussing and trying to resolve. Well, if you're a player, and you know this, Michael, if you're a player, you want to know what your responsibilities are uh, you want course. to know within the scheme what you're being asked to do. If I have to set the edge as opposed to rush the passer, those are very distinct uh, actions that uh, encompany the, 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 the position, right? Encompass right. the position of defensive end, for example. So I need to know within the scheme on any particular down and distance what I'm supposed to be doing to fulfill my role. And I also need you to teach, teach me the techniques that help me fulfill that responsibility and get the most out of my talents. 
this group seems to be doing that better than I've seen in many years, not just two years, but I'm going back five and right. six and seven years. You got to go back to 2012, 2013, when they were really humming over there and everybody was on the same page and install and a- execution was consistent across the board. You're seeing it now with this group. And I just hope that they're able to play football so that they can reveal their hard work and their ability as a teacher uh, to instill not only the system and install what it is they're going to run, but also engender confidence and get kids to execute. There, there's some weaknesses, Mike, on this team that are going to lead to losses. <laughs> but they won't lose because they're confused as to what they're being asked to do. And they won't lose because they play with poor technique and a lack of discipline. And they won't lose because they aren't demanded to give maximum effort at all times. No, no, they'll lose because they can't block it up or they'll right. lose because they lack depth of a certain segment. And that's okay. But, but I just hope they get to play for those reasons. And obviously I care that the kids get to play because they want to. So you're guaranteeing me I won't see Janarius Robinson downfield covering a 6'6 <laughs> tight end that can run a 4'7, right? You're guaranteeing me that, I hope, because that's exactly, what was on, that. that's exactly what was on film last year, and that's a freaking mess, man. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, there were a lot of things on film that were a mess last year. Uh, a uh, lot of asks that were a bridge too far and a uh, lot of poor technique and a ton of uh, – <laughs> Uh, really freelancing, for lack of a better term. So, yes, I agree. Uh, here's a here's a here's just a general football question that everybody wants to know. Maybe you have some insight. Who the hell wins this quarterback battle? Oh, boy, I don't know that answer, and I would be lying to you if I said I did, and it's getting even more difficult for me to, to kind of have that discussion because I can't see it. We're not allowed right, right now. Right, And that really is unfortunate. That That's also – selfishly uh one of the things that i'm perhaps most disappointed by with all of this beyond obviously the ramifications health-wise for people all over the country but the inability to go and watch yes, practice the absolutely. way we were allowed to do you alluded to it a moment ago i saw each and every one of the practices prior to the shutdown including the full pad practice and i came away each day more and more impressed by what i was seeing there was a consistency of message and execution in which they you know were able to teach it and, 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 and illustrate it and then get guys to adhere to it. Um, but the quarterback battle, oh, goodness, that's as good a, you know, that's as good a battle <laughs> as we're going to have a, that we've had at Florida State in some time because if you consider that nobody really has a leg up, even the 28 starts that James Blackman has made well. are in an entirely different system. He's, he's had to learn a, a different offense every year he's been here. It, it really has been a disservice to him. I think his confidence has been completely shattered. There are times where I think his emotions have gotten the best of him. So he can't win by default because that experience hasn't been a good one, and nor has he been great. Now you factor in that you have other guys that are learning the same playbook he is, and really because spring got shut down, they're learning it simultaneously. Right. So I think it's a wide-open battle, and I have no idea who's going to win it, and I'm just – bum that I can't see the competition from my own eyes to discern who I think has the lead or I think is developing quicker uh, than the other guys. I, I have no idea. And you're just going to have to trust. And I think we all roll our eyes when we have to trust college football <laughs> coaches, even if we want to believe in them. 
You're going to have to trust that what they're telling you about each scrimmage or each practice is true. And, um, you know, I get why coaches engage in hyperbole or misinformation sometimes. They're sending messages to their players, uh, or certainly they're trying to uh, spark, in some cases, other players. So I, I really don't know how to answer it. I don't know who's going to win the job. Uh, I would have said a lot of people say that because James Blackman has the experience that early on, maybe right. you'd want to go with a guy who's at least played a college football game and played in you know, a lot of college football games. Well, I would say that's probably true in most cases, but not true of a guy that's turnover prone, exactly. uh, not true of a guy that just because he has experience has shown that he hasn't been able to learn from those mistakes uh, consistently. So I don't think he has a significant leg up. I agree with you, and I think you know it. It really is wide open, and it, if this schedule, as it's laid, gets played, I have no problem going to play Georgia Tech with James Blackman, Sanford with Blackman. Really comes down to that, you know, that game at Miami. If we're just looking at X's and O's and 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 how that lines up, I'm not so sure about that. But you know, again, wide <laughs> open. Um, it is a shame we don't get to see these practices because like you, I'm very high on this defense. And I think a lot of people are going into camp. So it's kind of a shame that we don't get to see it. But is there anybody you're hearing a lot about that fans should be excited about at, at any level, linebacker, defensive line, which I think we're really deep at as far as the interior and the secondary who, you know, we have Asante Samuel on one side, hearing a lot of good things about Miko Dotson on the other. But is there any anybody you're really, really hearing about that's that's taking their game to the next level? Well, I'm really excited to see how Travis J plays. I'm really excited. Uh, obviously, you just mentioned, um, you know, that secondary, by the way, is a secondary that features a lot of talent and a lot of guys who were poorly coached, who haven't yes. been able to get the most out of said talent, along with some newcomers that a lot of people are excited about. So I'm hoping as the days go by, we continue to hear about Miko Dotson and Nakeem Denton. Obviously, you already mentioned Asante Samuel, we know Nashville Dean's a nice player recovering and slowly coming along. Travis Jay's an athlete for days. They got a lot of guys that they like, Isaiah Bolden and others. They, they've got good players back there. Right. So I'm excited to see that happen. But I will tell you, the guy I'm most excited to see continue to grow and quickly grow because there's a fluidity to his game, seemingly a tacit understanding of how to play the position, and an effortlessness to his movement, and that's Stephen Dix Jr. at linebacker. Uh, he comes in as a freshman, and most freshmen you would not consider necessarily to be able to start for you at linebacker. I don't know that he will necessarily. I mean, obviously, you got Emmett Rice, you got Leonard Warner, you got Jaleel McRae, you got Amari Gaynor. Right. You've got plenty of guys. But, but, but I would tell you that he flashed for me, Mike. He flashed for me big time in the three days that we saw him in the spring because that was a guy who. I, you know, a lot of times the newcomers, you don't know what number they're wearing in these first couple of days of practice. And so you're constantly looking at your sheet. And I'll tell you, I had a conversation with several guys on the beat that were here. We were just sitting there and twice uh, there was a play and, and, and all of a sudden, like a flash out of nowhere flowing to the football. You saw this kid that I, I didn't recognize. him. I said, who the hell is that guy? Who is that guy right there? And we looked it up and turned out invariably, uh, two or three different times, it was Stephen Dix Jr. There just seems to be an understanding of his role and of the game of football, an innate ability to kind of feel the flow of a play and trigger downhill quickly. Uh, he, he's a guy who I think's upside is absolutely huge, who not a lot of people will talk about because he's a freshman, but I like him an awful lot. And, you know, he – 
he came into fall camp looking like senior year Ernie Sims. That's the body type that we're dealing with here. And that's incredible. Uh, not something I thought I'd see this early. And whatever the paying coach storms, double it. Because, <laughs> I mean, not he in this. Well, right. Hey, 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 man, I'm about that. I've been yep. screeching about it for years. We've got to get it ready. And it looks like we're finally getting there, at least for some of these guys. I mean, the Terry looks bigger. Everybody looks bigger. And that's only a good thing. So, again, when the economy's right, we should probably double his pay because he's worth every penny. Um, <laughs> to to kind of switch gears really quick, um, obviously last week we had the unfortunate passing of Michael Ojo, former Forest State basketball player. Uh, if you could just for a minute just talk a bit about what 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 Ojo meant to the you know this coaching staff and his former teammates and the program in Forest State at large. Well, he's a great example of what's possible when you work hard and you commit and you are a great teammate and you seize opportunity to get the most out of your talents and opportunities in the classroom, he's really a quintessential example of what's possible. And there's a maturity from him that I certainly never possessed at his age. Um, there is a grace to him that um, I think was infectious. I'm not going to pretend to tell you I was good friends with Michael Ojo. I wasn't. I interviewed him a couple of times. My oldest son, who's now 12, got to meet him. Uh, and he was larger than life. And right. we we sat there in awe uh, of him and he was <laughs> gracious and kind when he met, when he met my son. Um, but I will tell you to your question, he meant an awful lot to his teammates, to his classmates and to those coaches um, because he was, as one gentleman texted me and told me upon the news of his passing, um, the nicest human being they had ever met that, you will not find this person told me via a text minutes after we found out that Michael Ojo had unfortunately passed. You will not find somebody who can tell you a negative thing about Michael Ojo. Um, this is a kid who grew up poor in Nigeria, was afforded an opportunity as a former soccer player who was growing uh, really by the day to, to be seen um, as a basketball player and an opportunity to, to be highlighted and, and, he eventually got that chance to come to the United States and, and to play basketball. And, you know, Winter Hamilton is an incredible developer of basketball players, but also young men. And Ojo took that chance, not only from a basketball standpoint, because he came here, he was raw. He lacked a lot of skill. He was just a big man that could alter shots and maybe grab you some rebounds. He didn't have much in the way of offensive skill. He couldn't shoot from the free throw line at the time. Um, he, there wasn't fluidity to his movement as a basketball right. player. Uh, there, there were a lot of things that he just didn't have. Some of it was because of the late start. Uh, some of it was because it's awfully hard for big men to really get comfortable in their bodies until much later on oftentimes. So when you saw the raw player, you saw a guy that you weren't, you weren't real sure could contribute an awful lot. But by the time he left here, he was the best free throw shooter on the team that you would sub into games late because you knew fouls were coming. He shot 80% his senior year. That's a testament to his work Absolutely. ethic because he couldn't get the broad side of a barn. No. <laughs> no. And, 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 on, and while all of that was going on, of course, he went on to get his master's in international studies. So he was, uh, he was vigilant both in pre preparing himself as a player but also as a student. And, and he wanted to make a difference in the world. Um, and I think he did in his short life. And I talked to people over there who were broken up um, it, it just devastated because of the man that he was. I'm told that 
every year since he's left the university, he would call, whether it was the SID Chuck Walsh or certainly any of his former coaches and players, every year during holidays, he would check in, how you doing? How's everything going? He was gracious with his time. Meanwhile, the league he was playing in is one of the best leagues right. in the world. It's second only to the NBA. And not only that, he had developed a role on a team over there that was very, very good. Uh, and, and he had begun to get looked at by NBA teams to, for invites to camp. So things were going in the right direction, and it makes it all the more tragic. But Michael Ojo, the man, certainly uh, a larger-than-life, kind, hardworking, intelligent, wonderful human being that will be missed. And I know Coach Hamilton, Stan Jones, the rest of that staff were absolutely devastated. Um, yeah, I heard a lot of hurt in a lot of people's voices when they talked about him. Um, and, and it certainly you know, defies logic. It's tough, to, uh, it's, it's tough to, to, to kind of sum up in words, but clearly he had an impact well beyond uh, what most people are able to accomplish in 27 years. Man, just incredibly sad when I heard that news, because like you mentioned, just the, you know, the kind of program and culture that the Hamilton and Stan Jones and those guys foster over there kind of created a real opportunity. And he took the boat, you know, he he took the ball and ran with it. And 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 it's sad. Twenty seven years old is young. I mean, there's just no way around. Oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. I, really, I mean, it, yeah. unbelievable. Um, no easy transition. Two quick questions. I'm going to get you out of here, Jeff. Just uh, real quick, if we could talk about the number one class. In basketball recruiting, <laughs> speaking of the basketball program, did you ever, and I do mean ever, see a day where number one would be next to the name of Florida State in basketball recruiting? No, I didn't. Um, I, I, I'm somebody who likes to dream big and hope that uh, for the best uh, in most occasions, and, and, and I don't discount people's ability to kind of change sets of circumstances to turn things around. But Florida State is not a blue blood in a blue blood conference, uh, right. at least as it pertains to basketball. They also don't commit nearly the same resources as some of the other upper echelon programs in the ACC to basketball do. So I, I didn't think simply because of the finances uh, and the reputation, the cachet, if you will, uh, or the lack thereof in basketball for Florida State would ever uh, align itself to a number one ranking in recruiting for, for basketball. But Leonard Hamilton's uh, really having a renaissance over these last four or five years. And it's so cool because it couldn't happen to a nicer guy and a right. more important guy in terms of these players and their lives and shaping them as, as young men. Um, there are a lot of cliches as it pertains to running a program, a clean program and having kids graduate and teaching them how to be good human beings and all that. And most of us certainly want all of our coaches to instill those values and to uh, teach that kind of work ethic and perseverance. But let's face it, we also want to win a whole lot of damn games. <laughs> and, and a lot of times, you know, all the aforementioned, um, uh, you know, uh, descriptors of a program that is uh, well-run accompany teams that aren't any good. Right. Uh, and, and, the, and the truth is he's got both right now. He's got a program that deserves to be talked about and is now recognized as an upper echelon program, top four program and the best conference for basketball in America. He's, he's put together teams that have gone to the elite eight and the Sweet 16 consistently. Now this right. is, I think we all know that the team that won the yeah. ACC last year and say uh -huh. that aloud again, won the ACC last year. This is a conference with Louisville and Duke and North Carolina and roll it out there. Roy, this is, you know, you look at this conference, 
Syracuse, all these tradition-laden programs, Virginia, not far removed from winning a national championship, obviously. Right. So here's Florida State winning that conference. And now, not only winning that conference, uh, on the heels of doing so, putting together this class together that says, it wasn't a fluke. We're going to be here for a while. Uh, it is simply remarkable. And he does deserve credit for really an about face that he made five, six years ago, this belief that, you know, we're winning, but there, there's always going to be this sense that we can only win so much if we play this style of basketball, meaning junkyard dog, dominant defense, win enough games to get to the NCAA tournament. But at some point, if you can't put the ball in the basket and you play that style, you're not going to be able to recruit kids who have the skill to score with the best of the best, and you are seriously limited as to where you can go. So he makes a change at a place like Florida State right. in, which, in which he's comfortable, he's winning, expectations are fairly low, and as he does so, he begins to fail. He loses his identity. The program loses its identity. He whiffs on some kids, and before you know it, he's on the precipice of being fired, and rightfully so, I might Right, say. right. And then, by adhering to this belief, we can do it a more modern way, that we can change our philosophy, we can recruit a different caliber of player, we just have to get a couple of yeses, and then the product will shift, and people will see where we're going. Modern analytics really kind of driving a new philosophy in basketball. They score at the rim, they score from the free throw line, and they score from the three-point line, and they play fast. And all of a sudden, it clicks. It starts happening. And that momentum builds to where we are now, where this program is not only one of the best in all of the ACC, it's one of the best in all of the country, and recruits, blue bloods, the best in the country now look at Florida State as a destination to consider, not an outside uh, fringe program that maybe somebody who wants to set a new path decides to go out on their own and right. you know turn their back on a Kentucky or a Kansas or, or a Duke or a Louisville. No, no, this is now a program that is named alongside those programs as a powerhouse. That is incredible. To that end, no, I did not think Florida State would get there in my lifetime. I'm so thankful they did because I always dreamt of it. I wanted to see it. I wanted what schools like Texas at one time had, what the University right. of Florida did, quite frankly. Absolutely. I wanted us to be able to do that, and now you're seeing the fruits of their labor. Man, it, you're right about that. It, it couldn't happen to a nicer group of coaches. I mean, I like all those guys yep. over there. And, and, sure. and it's so it, – God, it's so – it makes me smile ear to ear when I think about it, that that, that 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 staff has finally got this ball rolling. You know, you kind of mentioned how they're running the program. It, it almost sounds like they're using a new school approach with old school. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. I'm gonna, but, they right. but they did. Hey, Mike, but they didn't have an iconic brand. Oh, they that didn't have an yeah. iconic brand. You're right. They did not have an iconic brand, but now they they are developing an iconic brand, and there you, go. you know they call themselves the New Bloods, and it's great. It makes me laugh, and kids have latched onto it. And man, this is a class for the ages. And I, I you know, I, I just I really hope, and I and I hate to even speak it into being or potentially into being, and, and you know, I really hope we get to see basketball. I mean, yeah, yeah, me too. You know, we, we're, yep. we're not certain that that's going to happen either. I so. Know. Uh, just hold your breath and hope like hell that the doctors and the scientists around the world are able to group and re and source their 
their their collective expertise and, and we get some sort of a vaccine, if not to cure it, but certainly mitigate the symptoms and, and the long-term effects and, and maybe we'll be able to proceed with life as normal. Man, I hope you're right. That's a season that I'm almost looking forward to just as much as the football season. Yeah. Because yeah. of that, you know, what I think, you know, just imagine if Scotty Barnes stays. He probably won't, but just imagine if we were able to get one more year out of him. That that would be something else, but, you know, I don't want to look too far ahead. One more question I have for you, Jeff, and I'm going to get you out of here. I got told this last time that I had you on that I didn't ask anything about Jimbo Fisher and your time spent with him, so I have to do it here. So I'll just sum it up this way. Tell a Jimbo Fisher story that the normal person wouldn't believe. I'm not asking anything dirt, salacious, just an interaction you had with him that a normal walking the sidewalk human being could not believe. Because you've told someone on the air, and and I'm like jaw on the floor. Like this guy's different. So any interaction yeah. with him that you want to share? <laughs> well, I, I gotta say that that I have a few. Um, I've probably <laughs> got more than a few. I've got I got more than a few, and I will also say this: I have certainly revealed over the years, and certainly each year we get removed more removed from his time here. It's easier to kind of divulge. I have told some stories that largely center around the negative aspects of his personality. And a lot of people experience that. They experience the, the, the wrath of Jimbo's mood swings or uh, really unpredictable temperament. Um, but, but to tell you how polarizing and how, uh, I, I, I think, complex any of our relationships were with him would be to, to – illustrate the extremes on both ends. So for example, I may have brought this up before, uh, and I have in certain circles when asked about it. Um, my, my youngest son, uh, Clark, is is perfectly healthy, doing very, very well. But at one time, he was not. He, he was very sick. Um, uh, that was five or six years ago now. And he, um, he had to be rushed to Shands, uh, and he nearly died. Um, but he's okay. And again, right, I'm, right. I'm not trying to elicit sympathy or anything like that, but at the time it was a very, very, very scary, scary proposition. Um, and he had a, he had a blood disorder and he ended up going to Shands and, and uh, thank goodness for the, the doctors and the nurses and all the hardworking people at Shands. Um, but, but when that happened, um, you know, you kind of go into a, a haze. Your mind creates this other, uh, I, I don't know, almost like defense mechanism, but you're vetting in your head all of the, the worst case and best case scenarios. Right. And so you're kind of, you're swimming. You just don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I was trying to just be stable and, and really strong for my wife and for my son. So, I, I, I don't know. I was kind of I, I, I was able to push back certain other emotions as we were going through this. Well, the point of me telling you that is this. At one point, uh, Clark was sleeping and they had done some blood work on him and they had done a uh, basically a transfusion and some other things, uh, medicines that they had to pump into him that were going to make him sick and very, very tired. Um, but at the but the end of the day, they thought it would allow him to take a step forward. Well, during that time. He's, he, he gets done with the uh, treatment and he's, and he's sleeping. He's going to be asleep for a while. And that was a chance for me to go for a walk. And so I go for this walk 
and my phone rings and I hadn't been checking my phone, save for emergency calls from family. Um, and I, and I look at the phone and I didn't recognize the number, so I didn't pick it up and I continue to walk. And then it says, I have a voicemail and it's Jimbo Fisher and coach Fisher called me and he left a lengthy voicemail, uh, saying that he was, he was praying for my son and that he wanted me to call him and that he wanted to talk to me. And if there was anything that he could do for me and my family to let him know. I don't know how often I've told that story, but I feel like I should because that's also who he is. Absolutely. It's also, it's also a part of who he is. Um, he, he continued to check in, uh, in the coming weeks and months and even year, uh, to, to make sure that Clark was doing okay. And we compared notes about his son and my son. And he would update me frequently on all the advancements and treatment uh, that were being developed up in Minneapolis at the hospital there. Um, and, and we talked a lot about um, just, just family and, and, and what that does and, and re- remained hopeful. Now, again, I'm very, very fortunate. My son is okay. Right. And he, is, he, he was released five days after going into Shands. And he has gotten stronger, and he has become a normal, fully functioning, without restraint um, or any restriction, little boy who plays all the sports and runs into walls and wrestles with his brother and plays football That's in the awesome, backyard, man. does all these things. Yeah, no, no, very, very good, very fortunate. Again, I, I don't want to elicit sympathy or anything else. I said that more to shed a light on what Jimbo Fisher was also capable of. Right, now, of course. That, that's a, that's, that shows you the human side of who he is. Uh, he also is a guy that at the drop of a hat could MFU for no good reason whatsoever because he's having a bad day and become po- completely unprofessional. And, and that's there too. That's there right. too. And I was on the wrong end of those conversations many times. It grew old. I'll tell you of that. Of course. <laughs> we had a couple of terse exchanges. Um, but I, I, I guess to answer your question, I got a little long-winded here because you got me thinking about it a little bit. I have funny stories too, and I know I didn't choose to go that route, which maybe I should have. But what I would tell you is that, you know, that's kind of how complex things can be and how weird Absolutely. that is. Like, I, you know, on the one hand, there's that. And then on the other hand, there were times where literally we were yelling at each other. I mean, where, <laughs> where he would say something that I thought crossed the line, and I'd go, no, man, I'm a grown man. You're not going <laughs> to sit here talking. And so, you know, this would be. It was strange. I, he allowed, I think, I think with Jimbo, if you stood up to him and you were professional and you also knew your stuff and he respected you, I think, um, I think he would, he would endure that. He didn't like it and he would, could be a bully, but he would endure that. He'd listen and it would change your conversation the next time you talk to him. And I, I think one of the best things that ever happened was early on, we had a disagreement and he, he didn't like something I said. He always wanted to control the message, whatever it might have been. And 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 he yelled at me, and I yelled back. And the next time I talked to him, it was like it never happened. It was just kind of like he, you know, okay, that happened. We're moving on. Jeff, I'll talk to you next week. It was really, you know, ordinarily, Michael, if you and I get into an argument and we are screaming at each other and there right. are MFs dropped both ways and, you know, there are things said in the heat of the moment that in, in the same room it's almost as if we're going to come to blows, well, that's going to affect the way that we interact the next time we see each other but not with that guy it's as if none of it ever happened <laughs> right and, and it was it was right. the strangest thing strange 
I'm I'm actually glad that you told that story and went that route because you you've told it on your show before, and I was kind of hoping you would go that that way just because you know a lot of the stuff with with Coach Fisher ends up being negative because how he left you know middle of the night you know kind of screwed over the program and everything else and and so I really am glad that you told that story here because you know a lot of people may not know that about about Jimbo Fisher and so that's a side that a lot of people don't get to see I'm glad you went that route but you know I I think we also know it's fourth and it's fourth and three and he thinks it's fourth and one and he's going to argue with you about it for you know 10-15 minutes that he's right and you're wrong and it, it it doesn't matter what's on film, so humans are complex, man. So I'm really glad you told that story. Yeah, humans are complex, and he was complex. And and listen, to be sure, I am not excusing what he did. I think there was a downright a dereliction of duty late in his career at Florida State. I believe he turned his back on recruiting. I believe that he had one foot out the door. I believe that he, in many ways, was uh, guilty of forsaking his uh, current players on the roster by doing what he did. Um, I believe that he repeatedly told untruths. Uh, so that does not excuse away these things that a lot of people in the fan base feel about him. He also wasn't wrong about everything. And so we're just juxtaposing the right. complexities here. And also there was a human side. Like, that's why I told that story. There was a side that was compassionate that did. I mean, he didn't have to call me. We were not friends. We had a right. working relationship. I, you know, I covered the program. He ran the program. We discussed football once a week. We talked every now and then. One thing I will say that I enjoyed, um, and, and, and he's not the only coach that's been able to do this over the years, but one of the things I like and that I think college coaches would be, uh, it would behoove college coaches to do this, is, and I get why their guard is up and everybody's always scared of the media because it could reveal things that hurt them, and so they get worried about that. But the truth is, I think when you foster a working relationship, a professional relationship, and you're able to kind of put your guard down here and there and have a casual conversation about everyday life, it certainly allows then for the person covering the program, the journalist, or in my case, the talk show host uh, covering the program to see another side of your personality and who you are. And when you do that, typically, if the person's professional, you're now seen as a person and you're going to be given on occasion the benefit of the doubt. You make a mistake. People don't swoop in with knives drawn because they've seen the other side of you. They know right. that you're a, you're a human being. You're not just this robot paid millions of dollars a year to run a football program. And so maybe then there's nuance and you call that person instead of going straight to the air or straight to the computer to type. And you say, coach, can you better inform me why this would have happened? Because I have some serious questions. and I'm going to have to talk about this today, but I want to give you an opportunity. Well, that kind of dialogue, I think, is fostered when you reveal the other facets of who you are. And he he did some of that, but the second half of his time here, I think he really lost sight of that, and he began to close ranks, and all of a sudden everybody was ostracized, and he thought everybody was out to get him. And once you get that kind of paranoid, really the interactions you're having at that point uh, are somewhat meaningless uh, and they're certainly not genuine. At that point, it's just you, you're required to stand in front of that microphone as opposed to really trying to lend insight. And of if course. I could bring it to, as we wrap up, if I could bring it to Mike Norvell, yep. one of the things he's done very well early on is, again, before the coronavirus hit, he was an open book. Come on in, look at what we're doing. I'm yes. proud of the way I run a program. I'm proud of the way my coaches interact with players. I'm proud of what I think we're going to build here, and I would like you guys to document it. Well, 
if that doesn't embolden you, if you're a Florida yeah, State fan listening to that, you've got to feel good about hearing that because that means he's very, very, very. He is very on message. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> uh, you've hinted at it before, but he can work in that city as a different uh, position, if you yeah. know what I mean. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Not a knock. No. You know, <laughs> and the position he holds, you kind of need it sometimes. And, and he stays, again, on brand, and I think that's good. And he is very open, and his, he lets his coaches talk, which is another thing that about Jimbo that drove me absolutely nuts. And I get one to control the message, but I also like to hear from some of these other guys that are putting in the work, you know, every day in that grind. I like to hear from those guys too. So, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right. yeah, no, it's, I tell you what, man, those coaches, those assistant coaches. Yeah. They're impressed me, man. Staff. Yeah. Very yeah. impressed. I just hope we get to see the, the their hard work pay off and, in, in, you know, in the form of a season. I certainly do. Absolutely, Jeff. I appreciate you coming on again, man. I appreciate your time. You gave me more than I uh, than I even expected, so I really appreciate that. Again, I would I I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that you are one of the reasons I like to get behind the microphone and talk. So I really appreciate that. You and uh, you and Stuart Scott, man, those are my two guys. So I really appreciate uh, you coming well, on. Thanks, man. I appreciate hey, hey. that. Uh, be well. Keep up the great work, Michael. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'll see you soon. Hopefully, we're talking about football in the near future. Absolutely. Thank you again, Jeff. All right, take care, buddy.